Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stuck between a libertarian and a republican. Welcome to Publitarian Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. This is Ronald Johnson, Publitarian, coming at you again with another episode of Publitarian Podcast, and we are up to episode number 111. That's right, 111 of these bad boys. But without further ado, Mr. Announcer Guy, who do we have coming up on the show? And now... Publitarian Studios is proud to present a keynote speaker, guest lecturer, and critically acclaimed author, ladies and gentlemen, Robert W. Ross. That's right, I have the pleasure of having on Publitarian Podcast today, renowned author Robert W. Ross. How are you doing today, Robert? Doing great. How are you? I am doing just fine, and I got to say, I'm just going to fanboy here a little bit. It's really exciting to have you on the podcast. I am a big fan of your books. Well, that's that's great to hear. I'm, I'm you know, it's much better than the alternative because this would have been a completely <laughs> different conversation. <laughs> I brought you on to tell you how much I think your writing sucks. And, oh yeah, man, just... <laughs> another one, another one. Third one this week, right? Exactly. <laughs> No, but seriously, I, I am digging these books. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Robert Ross is, uh, I, I would classify you as a sci-fi and uh, fantasy author. You may classify yourself as something else, but uh, tell the people at home uh, about who you are and what you do. No, I think that that pretty much cap- captures it, at least for, for the next six months. I, I, I've written... Uh, about 10 books, um, and they are, are all in the uh, sci-fi and fantasy genre uh, and subgenres. So I, I never realized how many subgenres there are to <laughs> until I, I started writing and people were like, oh, well, that's space opera. I'm like, really? There's no singing at all. Um, and, <laughs> and showed my, my level of ignorance is to, into subgenres. So I've learned a lot over the, over the, the 10 years that I've been working kind of as a, as a professional author. Um, and, uh, but I do have a book coming out, um, uh, unless my beta readers tell me that I shouldn't release it, which hasn't happened yet, but always could, uh, that is more of a paranormal romance, um, 
and uh, we can maybe touch that on that briefly somewhere along the way because that's not my genre but something weird happened and uh and i was like well if that kind of weird thing happened then i guess i should probably at least try to write it yes we definitely need to touch on that then okay that has piqued my interest and as far as the books that are released um you have the sentinels of creation series and this is i would call this i i, I mean i've read almost all of the books now see uh a true interviewer would just go ahead and fluff and say, Oh yeah, the, everything was great. No, I've only got like three books in, but what I have read has been spectacular. And uh, of course, uh, audience uh, there are probably some spoilers ahead, uh, unintentional because I wanted to talk about the books, obviously, since I had you on here. Um, is that how you would classify that? Uh, 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 Sentinels? Yeah, Sentinels yes. originally, and this is gets back to kind of subgenres. When it was originally published, it was published as something called urban fantasy, um, which is which is a, a subgenre, which and uh, where where the fantastical exists around the mundane. So, like Harry Potter could arguably be considered uh, urban fantasy, um, and then it's been kind of renamed. Uh, or at least gone in parallel with another subgenre called contemporary fantasy, which I think actually is, is probably more, more accurate. Um, Cause a lot of the urban fantasy books were set in urban areas. Um, and uh, my books are set really all over the place, but, but uh, a lot of the action takes place in um, the, the current day. So it literally runs year for year from, uh, uh, every year from, I think, 2015 to 2022, uh, although the 2022 one isn't, doesn't come out until 2022. So, so the, the events of the day are kind of referenced, uh, tangentially by the characters in the book. Um, and so that's kind of, it's it, why I, it's, it falls into that contemporary fantasy area. The, the writing on this, and it just sounds like I'm fluffing you up here, but the, the writing on this is spectacular. I mean, I've really enjoyed this. Um, what what I'm liking about um, the Sentinels books and then uh, the other one you have, uh, which I would classify as sci-fi, maybe it's another subgenre, um, uh, Paradigm 2045. The, what I like about these, um, they're not an easy read where I mean, like, you know, you've dumbed anything down, but you do a really good job of going into the sci-fi and fantasy wonkery without getting like so bogged down into the wonkery that you can't tell the story. And I think that's an art in itself. Yeah. Um, it's, it was surprisingly more difficult than I thought it was going to be because I was young, stupid and ignorant, all three. Um, <laughs> It is the um, and, and surprisingly, it's easier in fantasy than it is in sci-fi, um, and they're almost kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, so, with fantasy, the biggest challenge for me, anyway, was creating a magic system that was self-limiting um, or had limits to it, because otherwise, you end up with um, characters that are, you know, very OP. Uh, I always harken <laughs> back to 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 the character of Superman, which is they they. It's so hard to create a, a, a good Superman story, um, or and it used to be even harder before Kryptonite was around. Um, yeah, because he can he, handle whatever. He, right, he's he's a he's a great guy. He doesn't cheat on his wife if he, when he got married. He he's basically a, a, a Boy Scout, um, and he is impervious to pretty much 
everything and used to be everything. So then the the author started ex experimenting with the, the various kryptonites, you know, the green kryptonite, red kryptonite, uh, etc. And you you create those heroic flaws uh, or or weaknesses. And and um, the easiest ones, which, which I don't really use, but but the easiest one is is like is mana, right? So you run out of mana, right. and your wizard is like, oops, right? So um, <laughs> uh, a manaless wizard is is just an old guy or a gal with a staff that he tries to beat you over the head with. So so that's kind of the hardest part for me with that, um, and then creating complex uh, magic systems that that you that be, where it becomes more work than it is fun. So I can give you a good example of a complex magic system that is fun. So I think um, Brandon Sanderson is a, is a great uh, author. I met him a few times. In fact, I have an interesting Brandon story, uh, which I can share just after this. Is, um, okay. it, but, but his, uh, his uh, Mistborn series uh, has Allomancy, which is a kind of a, 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 a metal burning. You burn different metals, it gets different effects. Um, and it's really complicated. You know, you push this, you pull that, this thing makes you lighter, this thing makes time go faster. But he does it in such a way that you're, you're able to keep track of it uh, for the most part. Um, and then there's other authors who, who they, get, they get caught up in their old own wonkery. Uh, and they're like, look <laughs> at this chart I put on my wall that shows all the different things. I'm like, dude, it's like, oh my God, it looks like the Doctor and River Song's timelines. I don't need to understand this. Um, <laughs> Good it's point. Way, way too much work. Um, so, um, so mine, mine are, are kind of uh, in the middle. I, I wouldn't say they're as elegant or as complex as, as Brandon's because he's uh, he's better at world building than I am. Um, but that they're they're kind of the the world in which my characters live. So my characters are kind of takes primacy, and then the world in which they live is really important but secondary. And then there's a lot of authors where their world building takes primacy and their characters exist as a way of showing how the world's environment acts on people. Uh, so it's really just two different ways of writing. Neither one's better than the other. But but um, I, had, I get a lot of feedback about how people uh, enjoy the dialogue. Um, and in fact, my voice actor, Nick Podell, you know, he, he gives me the greatest compliment. He says, I can't wait to see when your books come because it's like I get to I get to meet all your friends again and they're in they're all in my head and i get to talk with them um and so that's uh so that's kind of the difference uh so with but with science fiction it's the world's already there for you so you know we already had a creator that built it so i, I so i don't have to worry about building a world um it's more a matter of how do i get around the world constraints that uh that that god created right so light speed mm -hmm. there's there's a there's a hard stop right so you got to get around that because I didn't realize how big space was until I started writing science fiction. And I was like, I'm going to do this really smart. I'm going to, I'm going to use the exoplanets that the Kepler uh, telescope found. And, and, I'm, and I was like, wow, they're really far away. <laughs> so, so like, how'd they get there? <laughs> I, I mean, I know it's like even Star Trek, I thought it was like, all right, I'm going to use warp engines. And then I, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of build off the same concept that Roddenberry used for warp engines. And then I'm like, wow, warp engines are too slow. Um, so, uh, if you want to get even to the center of the galaxy, so, uh, so then you have to come up with something else. So you have to find ways around the constraints, um, that the physical world has for you. Um, and, uh, and that was a lot of work for the, for the paradigm one. And, and I get it like, like with, uh, the dialogue with, um, 
one of the greatest compliments I've gotten from my sci-fi is that um, is that it's theoretically possible, but you don't get bogged down in it. So, yeah, and that's and that was my takeaway with the with the sci-fi end of it, and um, with the I, I see what you're saying with with the fantasy realm. I guess people are a little bit more well, the fans I would say would probably be a little bit more forgiving than the uh, than this the sci-fi fans, or is that not the case? Like, um, if you don't get the science right, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, the science folks uh, are really not—they're not mean, but they're—they're—they're not—they're—they're they're not as forgiving because it's—it's science fiction. It's—it's it's not magic fantasy, right? So it's—it's it's like in the title. So um, I have this one guy who um, who I really loved <laughs> his feedback was um, he wrote me uh, on Reddit. Uh, to explain to me um, how uh, you couldn't use dark matter to open up spatial gates. And, and I was like, you're absolutely right. You, you can't, but no one really understands dark matter. So since we don't understand it, I need to get from point A to point B. There you go. Um, <laughs> but he was really very pleased with, with the, uh, my use of the Al Alcubierre drive, which is uh, mm -hmm. there's an Italian guy named Alcubierre and he created uh, the uh, theoretical warp engine of how it would actually bend space. Uh, the problem, as I mentioned, is once I used his science to, to use it in my books, then I realized that that he was like, it's only gonna go this fast. And I was like, well, So you painted like, yourself in a corner. Yeah, so I used, I used the Alcubierre <laughs> for kind of local high-speed travel. But if you're gonna right. try to go real distances, then, um, uh, then it's uh, then it's the dark matter spatial gates. But again, like with fantasy, you want some limiting on it. So, well, I loved Stargate, but I thought that Stargate, uh, you know, was it, and it was fine because their point wasn't how do you get from point A to point B. It's like it's what happens at point B, right? Once you get there, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So, so, but what I wanted to do is like, okay, so because in the third book of the of the series, it becomes really important. This becomes a really important thing, but. Is that that the math in order to create a spatial gate from point A to point B is directly related to how far you're going, because you can't spatial gate through something big like a star or a planet or even a comet. So um, the further you go, the greater your chances that you're going to run into something that's going to kill you. Um, and we learned that in Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So and and um, uh, it's not and, like Dustin Crops, boy. <laughs> uh and, ha and and let me ask you, how many episodes how many uh movies are there in star wars oh no there's nine three the answer is three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes right i see you got me got me with the gotcha question yes <laughs> You're right. There are only three. That's right. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to end this now because you <laughs> interview over. Bye. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's an author whose name is Chris Kennedy, um, and he. Um, we there was a. We, we have these little author. So they just pop up like in social media where there's some conversation happens and one somebody somebody made some snide remark about Star Wars, uh, and then someone else was like, you know. Um, something bad should happen to, to Kathleen Kennedy and, and they, and they just were using her last name. And then Chris came by this thread and it came in at the end and he's like, what did I do? And I, I was like, different <laughs> Kennedy, man, just be glad you spell your first name with a C. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 
K Kennedy. No, out. Out. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But well, since we're on the subject, I am assuming with your uh, paradigm writings, I'm seeing more of a Star Trek fan than I am seeing a Star Wars fan. Is that accurate? Um, no, I think that that I'm fans of them for different reasons. Um, the uh, the the science of Star Trek, I think, is 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 genius. Um, so when what you're seeing in in paradigm is the, is the science of Star Trek. You're also seeing the um, the what I think is Star Trek's greatest gift, the original Star Trek's greatest gift, which which is not to plug the title of my own second book, but it, you really <laughs> see the the humanity's promise in Star Trek. Um, and I think I was talking about this at Dragon Con. I think that science fiction more than almost any other genre has a moral obligation to show what humanity should be and can be. Um, and in Star Trek, one of my, there are two, two of my favorite, uh, well, one of my favorite episodes is when, um, Frank Gorshin, who played the Riddler was in an episode. Um, and, um, it was Kirk was obviously, you know, going to a planet to save the world, um, and uh, this these these folks have been having civil war for as long as as forever, for essentially, right? And so Frank Gorshin uh, is like his face is is kind of binary. So half of his face is black and half of it is white, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, he's going on and on about how the others they're, they're just they're inhuman they they shouldn't live and all this other kind of thing and and at the the, the, the kind of climax of the story is um is, is kirk is looking at me because i just don't understand why you guys can't get along you know he says kirk i just can't understand <laughs> why you get along and and, and very and good frank, impression <laughs> horrible at impressions let's just throw that one out uh and so frank gorshin looks at him like like kirk's got lobsters growing out falling out of his ears and he goes he goes what do you mean you don't see the difference between us he says i'm black on the right side they're white on the right side um and you look at it and it, and, and this is gets to, to kind of one of the points that i've made in, in panels is that in that in that moment there was so much societal commentary densely packed into that moment while not beating you over the head with it because mm-hmm. it was just part of the story and it occurred organically. So in that moment, uh, Roddenberry or whoever wrote that particular episode was being able to take, you know, the, the, the least important part about these people, their art, their music, their interactions, their societal constructs, the least important thing about them was the pigmentation on one side of their face versus the other. And they both had the same pigmentation. It just was, and this was the genius of the commentary, was that it's not even like this person was white and this person was black, this one was orange, this one was yellow. It's they were the same color. They were just transposed on different sides of their face. So if you could go to war and kill people over something that stupid, then maybe we humans, we should get our shit together. Yeah, for real. It's like that... um south park episode where they finally get rid of christianity 
and then the atheists all break into three separate factions <laughs> and they all war with each other. I don't know if you're a fan or not, but that was like one of my favorite episodes. They go forward in time to 20 whatever and the atheists are warring with each other. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I'm I am a, I'm a fan of I'm a, I'm a fan of the the, the absolute uh, vast fields of no no Fs, I'll say, because I don't know how how family friendly <laughs> this podcast is. No Fs to give. There are there were there are vast fields where they will not grow uh, among the South Park creators. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> um, and switching gears a little bit, uh, could you give my listeners a uh, brief background of how you came to be an author? Yeah, well, I started off really early uh, as an author because I just loved writing. Um, unfortunately, I was a very, very bad writer. Um, <laughs> so um, I wrote some short stories and I wrote some things in college. And uh, I even wrote uh, the novel uh, that would someday become the foundation for Sentinels. Um, and um, the best way, the most generous way I could describe it is uh, pretentious crap. Um, and I think that, that, uh, there, there's really two kinds of writers, authors. There's those that are, that are born, uh, and they're, they're just gifted with the ability to, uh, see the world and, uh, and create their own world from what they have seen of it. And I think that that's true of a lot of different artistics. There's, there's natural comedians who just see the world through a lens that makes them able to, to point out the the ludicrousness there's there's uh there's uh musicians you know Mo mozart is a great example right so the, he was just born he was born just with music leaking out of him right um and so there's authors like that too uh i'm not one of them so um so i i had to live i was waiting for you to categorize yourself as a, like yeah. myself <laughs> <laughs> not me so uh so in the absence of having really li lived uh experiences i would create them out of whole cloth and a, a and a um a born author can do that what what ended up with mine was it was obvious that it was artificial um and so to cover up for it being artificial i used pretentiousness because that made sense um mm -hmm. And uh, so my early work was just really horrible and pretentious. And so I, I didn't write for, um, for really probably 20 years. Um, oh, my goodness. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, I would, I would write things um, uh, for work. For my for my day job, which was in co uh, consulting and technology, and I would always have people go, "Damn, that was just a great email." I mean, you just got that <laughs> point across. I, I could never write that email. I mean, you would be, it's, it's ridiculous how often I, I would get that. It's like it's like, and you motivated that team. You just you did that really well. And I was like, You're, "You should be a writer." I'm like, "Yeah, well, I'm not good <laughs> at it." So, um, so then about ten years ago, um, uh, I had the opportunity to to. Uh, uh, listen to my wife who said, you need to just stop and write something. 
So I wrote the novel that would become Sentinels of Creation. And uh, she was sick with the flu and I handed it to her and she's like, oh, this is going to be the end of our marriage. I'm going to have to tell him he still sucks. <laughs> oh, um, <no. laughs> uh, and so she, she went up and she read it and came, came down, you know, uh, like hours later. And she's like, against all odds, this is good. <laughs> Wow. Thanks, babe. <laughs> yeah, that's my honey. <laughs> Man. Well, so, you know, sometimes our 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 better halves are like the hype man that we need. And then other times I think they are that, you know, grounding that we need too. <laughs> yeah, and that actually gets gets back to what my, my what I mentioned earlier, that Brandon story. So so I admit um I have a special needs kid and he was um Brandon was was visiting um, uh, his special needs school as uh, as as a friend because his friend of his was a teacher there, mm-hmm. so I didn't know him from anything, right? And I had just kind of started out uh, was working on on Sentinels, and um, so I, I was coming in there to I think it was like adults. What do you do today at the at at his school? Right. And uh, I was talking what I was what I did for for a day job, you know, artificial intelligence and and digital marketing and a bunch of other techie stuff. And this guy was like, in, you know, asking me questions about it, and is like, you know, um, and he says, you know, do you have any hobbies? And I go, yeah, well, I'm working on this book and I'm writing it, and uh, you know, it's so what's it about? I told him, he's like, oh, it's pretty cool. He said, you, you know, and then he starts giving me some advice, and so I'm in my head, I'm like, who's this jackass? <laughs> given me advice like i didn't ask for advice and and and, um and so i'm I'm like i'm polite i'm like thank you so much that was a really good advice because you know what it was really good advice uh and (laughs) who knew right and then so like two years later i'm at dragon con um and uh i run into him and at that point i had read his mistborn Still didn't know what the guy looked like, and then I run into him, and I'm like, "Oh God, this is the this is this, <laughs> this is, is the guy giving guy. me advice. This is advice guy." And so fortunately, he doesn't remember me from Adam. So, uh, so I I remember, but not that not that he would have made a connection because all of that was internal monologue of me going, "How dare you give me excellent advice, person who is an excellent writer?" Uh, and I haven't published my first book, uh, so. Um, so I meet him and I talk to him and I was talking to him about Sentinels and he's like, wow, that sounds really cool. It sounds familiar. I was like, well, this is what happened. And I tell him at the school, he's like, oh yeah. Uh, and so then. Um, so he did remember you after that. Yeah. He remembered me after that. Well, I mean, how often are you at a special needs school where one of the kids' dads talks to you about being a writer? I mean, it's like a pretty niche thing. Uh, right, so, right. So, I didn't know um, how lofty he was. I was just. No, he's know. not. He's not, not lofty. <laughs> Although he does have like assistants that have assistants now. So, so it's. <laughs> It's uh, I don't know whether he digs that or not, but I would I would hate it. Um, but um, not that that's like an imminent problem for me. Um, is is that my my publisher tells me that I need to have three different assistants because I I need to ha- be shuttled from point A to point B because of the massive crowds. So that's that's <laughs> that's not a problem. So um so he um he said back to wives. He said there's three kinds of wives. He says there's the there's the business wife right? The wife who, who help, helps manage her business. There's the wife who doesn't get involved at all. 
because she doesn't want that your business to encroach on their family. And then there's the, there actually there was four. Then there's the critic uh, and it's the cheerleader. So the cheerleader is like, you you go, honey, you're doing right. This is a great book. And, and then there's the critic, which is my wife, uh, that, that, that tells you all the things that are wrong uh, with your writing. And then there's the other two. Um, and, uh, and I guess the, the manager one can blend over. Uh, and I'm not right. going to share which one his wife is. That's his story to tell. But, but my, um, my, my wife is absolutely the critic. Um, but, and I don't want this to be misconstrued, uh, the work is so much better because of it. Um, mm-hmm. you, you really need to have somebody, I think. So I, I, I have an alpha process. I, 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 I do cold reads of, of my books once I'm, once I'm done with them uh, to a small group of people, very small. Uh, of, of which my wife is one and they, they, um, they tear it apart. Um, all, right. or they, or they say it's awesome. So there's a, there is a chapter in humanity's promise chapter 20, 21, I think it is. And I got done reading it. Uh, and everyone in the room was in tears. Um, good tears, moving tears. I mean, okay. they were just okay. like, like they were just like, that was the most beautiful thing you've ever written. Don't change a word, which happened once in 10 years. Right. So, um, uh, so there's that kind of transcendent joy, joy that can occur too. But most often it's, um, it, 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 it's stuff that needs to be cut. I had one scene, uh, in one of the Sentinels books after my daughter and I watched the greatest showman for like the third time. And, and I was like, you know what? You know what would be genius? What would be genius is if I had Kellen and Shannon, two of the main characters, act out a scene from Greatest Showman in the book. That would just be, and I wrote it and I was so happy with it. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I could see, hear the music in my head. I could see them <laughs> dancing around. And I, and I read it and it's like the opposite of chapter 21 of, Ch- of Fianney's Promise. I got done <laughs> and I looked up and there was like, it was like Crickets. wide-eyed horror. Oh, <laughs> And, and one of them said, you need to take that out. You need to burn every copy of that chapter and it should never see the light of day. That wow. was horrible. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, at least you know where you stand. Oh, there's never not knowing where you stand with the alphas. Uh, yeah. And forgive my ignorance of the process. Is this like a typical thing for authors? Like you have your alpha readers, then betas, then no? I thought it might be, but it's not. As far as I know, no one else does the alpha. I'm sure someone else does, but I've never met anyone. And they all look at me the same way. I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? I think that's genius. Uh, well, it's certainly masochistic. So you know, it's something. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, you have to suffer some slings and arrows, I'm sure. But if it if it leads to a, a hopefully like you know a better product, I, I think that's a good idea. It, I think you're right, and so I'm I'm pretty happy with it overall. Although it does break the alphas, so I because I, they're friends, right? So they have to be really close <laughs> friends or family. So right. so I was sitting with one of them, and we were watching a movie, and she starts ripping into it, and and I and I go, Alpha read much. And she looks at me and she goes, Oh my God, I am. She's like, she's like, you've ruined me. I'm constantly critiquing everyone's stuff. Yep. This is um, not to inject myself into this, but this is very 
uh, common in the uh, the music uh, sphere as well. Um, I'm uh, some of my day job. I'm a musician, and it makes it very hard to go watch a band play. Or um, I've played in Christian music forever. It makes it really hard to go to like another church and watch it like a, a band perform. You're always sitting there going like, "Oh, I can't believe they did that." Oh man, look at that. Yep, typical. And it's like, I it's hard to be like in the moment and just enjoy what's happening. So. Yeah, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's 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 fun. It's it's just how that you get to you get close to something and it just alters your perception of it. <laughs> but you can you can still enjoy fantasy and sci-fi and and everything else. I'm assuming, or I hope. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Although I, I will say that I I have a lot less tolerance um, for stuff that uh, I know the work that's been done before and I know they could do better. Uh, and I, and I see, I'm like, Oh, that was clunky. Uh, and wow, I would have done that differently. And, and, and that's, it's some of that's ego and it's not good. And then some of it is just, gosh, I just want this to be better. Uh, but right. then there's, there's things that are just so good. Like uh, when I watched the Witcher as a fan and I realized there were multiple timelines going on, which, which took me a while. I was like, oh my God, there's three different timelines. This is freaking genius. I want to start the whole thing over. <laughs> and then you can see it. Yeah, that's cool. Right, right. Uh, so regarding the Sentinels of creation series um like i said i've, I've already told people uh, spoiler alerts ahead uh, i wanted you to get into a little bit about what the the books are about but i wanted to just share something amusing right before we did that because um you were uh, recommended to me by a friend and so i i start reading this book i'm i'm starting sentinels of creation book one keep in mind listeners at home. I, I am a Christian, uh, but I, I start the book, I get to paragraph number one, and I start reading and I start seeing like this thing where, you know, Lucifer's talking to God. And I'm like, oh, no, did I just <laughs> wander into some like left behind Christian fiction? And this person was trying to like evangelize me and oh, no, I'm in a trap now. Um, <laughs> it's a trap. That was not the yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's a trap. Uh, that was so not the case. These books are so much more than that. Uh, but uh, it, it it's it's it starts off with that, and I think it paints a good picture. But when you first open it up, I was like, "Oh no! What what did I get myself into?" But um, that is not the case with these books. So I'm not scaring anybody away or trying to evangelize anybody. There there's an element of that in there. But uh, I'll let you speak about that since you wrote the books. <laughs> sure, um, I, I've gotten that that uh as well and um I, i'm on the fence as to whether or not if i were to do it over again i would do it the same way but the prologues for each of the sentinels books are kind of take place for the most part in the spiritual realm or with celestial beings um so the tone of them are a little bit loftier and and there's you know there's there's some angels there's there's you know the creator and lucifer and the, the and their interactions um and um, it really came out of a picture, a painting I saw once, which was, and, it, and I think a musician did a song too. I'm trying to remember the song. Um, you probably remember it, but of uh, uh, God and Lucifer playing chess. Oh, it was Christopher. It was a song from Christopher. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I had this image of, of God and Lucifer playing chess. Um, and uh, that ended up being, I think, in the prologue of the fourth book. But I'm thinking, okay, well, how do I get back to that? So, so, so um, in the first book, it really starts off um, uh, a after the the war in heaven 
uh, and and Lucifer is being you know like Milton's Lucifer, which is I'd rather serve in hell than or, uh, or rule in hell than serve in heaven, and um, and so um, he's thinking that he may have lost this battle, but he's going to win the war. Of uh, and and he has no use for humanity, really hates them, um, and uh, they they strike a deal uh, to to create to stay out of things, right? To just to let to let humans have their free will, and you know, God being God knows that Lucifer is probably going to cheat. Um, so uh, they create these um, these two uh, characters, two being sentinels of creation, uh, one aligned uh, with order and one aligned with chaos. Um, and the archangel Raphael goes off to find his, and Asmodeus goes off to find Lucifer's. Um, and um, there. Th- the easy way to describe it is think of like Neo in the matrix, right? So if the world were the matrix, these sentinels would be kind of like Neo in that they, they can't like break everything, but they can bend certain laws of creation. They can um, operate in the world, but there's a, a different set of rules for them sort of. Exactly. So, so, and, and, um, and it, really the story follows uh, the second sentinel um, uh, as, as that power gets renewed in him because the the first one is like I just can't do this anymore, um, mm-hmm. and and so the the first book kind of revolves around that. And uh, Kellen Thorne is is who he is, and he's a, he's a diehard atheist. And I have a fan who created a shirt from a line in the book that there's nothing that ruins an atheist day than running into an archangel, um, <laughs> and and that kind of that's kind of what happens, and the and the uh, the story really spins off from there. There's a huge, you know, heroic arc that covers seven books. The seventh one is going to come out in, in January, and that's the end of the series. Um, and I have some catching uh, up to do. You do. You you got to. <laughs> you better get some some reading. But but you know, there's nothing worse. The only thing worse than having to wait for a book, I think, is um, is waiting for a book that never comes. So so when I wrote the first book for Sentinels of Creation, it didn't say book one on it because I had no idea whether or not there'd be a book to, because until the market says that you're not a horrible writer, you, you don't know really. Um, so then I was like, okay, people really like this book. I'm going to write a series. Uh, I, I hated it when uh, some authors who remain nameless just didn't finish their stories. And so I'm left hanging forever. So I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book. There's going to be a book that comes out every year, if not sooner, but at least every year. And it will have an ending. And my original plan was for it to be five books. Uh, and about book three, I was like, there's just no way. So then I made a deal with myself that it could be seven. Um, but then that was absolutely it. Um, and so um, so it is seven books. Um, the seventh book is actually twice as long as the, as the first book. So um, I had a, a publisher say, well, why don't you just split it into two? And I was like, nope, that sucks uh for readers um and uh, another author friend of mine did that because his publisher told him to and the he regrets it because he got a bunch of bunch of nasty reviews which weren't really warranted but people don't like thinking you're doing a cash grab and they also don't want to have to wait for something they know you wrote uh oh you know i didn't even think about that aspect of it which one the, the cash grab, like you're splitting it up in two. So you sell two books instead of one. Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah. And that wasn't this person's motivation. Uh, it may have been the publisher's motivation. Uh, but, um, 
and then then you have to figure out a way of putting fluff in filler in to make the two you know what was really something that was like one and a half books into two um so i didn't want to do any of those things so uh, a final sacrifice the seventh book in the sentinel series is 170,000 words 180,000 words so um so it's a big book um but it it it's what it needed to be and it's done so um so the series is is done except for beta so so that's uh that's sentinels it's that heroic journey of kellen uh and his soul-born shannon thorne uh she's from the 13th century scotland he's from 21st century atlanta um and what could possibly go wrong with that yeah no that's that sounds like a great match (laughs) (laughs) um uh, something that i saw that uh, a theme that was present in sentinels uh and paradigm uh was a love of whiskey and i was wondering if you uh have that love or was that just something that got worked into it? I do love whiskey. In fact, you should feel horrible because the last podcast I did, someone sent me a bottle of whiskey that I was to drink on the podcast. So <laughs> you're, you're, you know, got to raise your bar now. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, let me see what the budget will entail. And <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, I, I'm obviously just teasing, but, but, uh, um, uh, I, I do. Um, I, I used to love, I still love scotch, but I can't afford the scotch that I love. Right. Because I really like good scotch. So a good, a good bottle of scotch, is a couple hundred bucks. Yes. Um, and up from there. So, um, a really good bottle of bourbon. And I, I love, uh, the resurgence of bourbon. A really good bottle of bourbon is, is a lot less. And then I find these little gems. Um, I write about uh, Cooper's daughter, Bourbon, in my books. Um, that was the one I was going to ask you the name because I couldn't remember it yet. Yeah, Cooper's daughter. Uh, it's a real uh, distillery. It's owned by uh, two women, uh, which is very rare in the United States is to have a distillery owned by women. Um, her dad's a Cooper, hence the, the name Cooper's daughter. Uh, so he uh, he makes the barrels there in New York. Um, and I wrote to them, uh, or I, I tagged them in an Instagram post, and they were like, this is so cool. Um, we just opened a bed and breakfast. Can we have some of your books? Uh, we could put them around the bed and breakfast. And I'm like, absolutely. But they, they're not super technical, and they couldn't figure out how to make my website work. Uh, and I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll just give you a box of books, and you give me a box of booze. And they're like, that's genius. Let's do that. And so I got this big box of spirits from them ranging from bourbon to uh, vodkas, uh, infused vodkas, and this absolutely killer Bloody Mary, and then this margarita with rhubarb in it. Um, And so I totally uh, came out better on that deal. (laughs) I I actually actually filmed myself doing an unboxing on Instagram. (laughs) And I was just like, this is the best day ever. Uh, So I lined up all the bottles. So if any, I would encourage you guys to go take, check out the, my Instagram. It's at Ross author on Instagram and you can find that video. Um, they're a small, small family owned business. Uh, great products, great people. Old York farm is the name of their, um, of their website and Cooper's daughter is their line of spirits and they will ship anywhere that you're, they're legally allowed to. It's great stuff. And again, that's Cooper's daughter, and they also do vodkas and other things, correct? Yeah, they do all sorts of things, uh, seasonal things. Um, 
And uh, I had this, this uh, one of the things they sent me was a currant liqueur, like, like, like currants, like grapes. Oh, right. oh my God. That's so, it's so good. All their stuff is just amazing. And we are going to cut it right there. Um, there is a lot more to this interview. So this will be part one. Uh, Robert and I had such a good time talking. The, uh, the podcast interview went way longer than either one of us uh, anticipated that it was going to. So that's going to be part one. So stick around next week when I'll be uh, bringing back part two. We'll touch on a little bit about uh, bourbon and spirits again and then uh, going into uh, Robert's uh, other works and stuff that he's done. And uh, we have a lot of fun. And so we'll see you guys here next week on the next edition of Publitarian Podcast. Thank you for listening. Podcast. Copyright 2021.